want to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, don't miss the first call to simply be with Jesus. All right, so last week we got the privilege of hearing Jay um, preach. Jay's one of our our, our deacons. Um, We got to hear him preach about this very intense scene of Jesus uh, running away from the crowds. Uh, So Jesus has just healed this man in a synagogue. This dude has just reached out his hand and and Jesus healed him. And immediately the Pharisees, they begin to go out and, and say, like, we need to, we need to, we need to kill this dude. I was going to say Merc, but I was like, I don't know if y'all know what Merc means, but we're going to kill this dude. Um, and so Jay reminded us that, that Jesus, he was so popular from his miracles and his demon casting and teaching that the crowds, they, they pressed heavily on him so that they would be able to benefit from his great power. But instead of Jesus stopping and he healing uh, those people, what we see is, uh, is Jesus, he goes out toward the sea and he even tells his disciples to, to get a boat ready so that he wouldn't be crushed by the crowds, by their needs. And Jay also told us that the reason for this isn't because Jesus doesn't care about their needs, but it's because Jesus is hard pressed and determined to meet their greatest need by heading to the cross. And as we turn the corner this morning, we again are going to get a glimpse of this missional, uh, this missionally focused Jesus uh, who is working to meet our needs and, and working to meet the needs of the hurting and the needy. And he does this not by going out to a sea, not by going out to a desert, but he does this by going up a mountain. So the, the question we got to ask is, okay, what's going on here? What is this mountain? What does this mountain signify? And what is he going to do on top of this mountain? And if you're asking those questions, I got good news for you. I get to answer that. So if you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. I'm reading from the CSB version. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus went up the mountain. Now, we don't know what mountain it is, but Mark tells us that it's a mountain. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. To do what? To be with him. To send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the 12, and uh, you guys got to forgive me. I don't know how to pronounce all these names, so we're going to try. To Simon, he gave the name Peter. To James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, he gave the name, see, mm, Boa. (laughs) Somebody help me out. Uh, Say it. Boanaries. There we go. Boanaries. This just means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip. And Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. This is the word of the Lord. It is good. It is true. You may be seated. Now, I don't know about you. We got a lot of little kids in here, so maybe you do know this. But have you ever watched little kids try to get your attention? Like you're in the middle of a conversation with another adult, right? And, they, and, and sometimes they'll just talk over you as if you're not even talking. 
Or sometimes they'll walk back and forth in front of your face doing one of these, you know. Um, or sometimes when my kids do that, like, I'll be looking this way and they'll be over here and they'll like grab my face and like turn me toward them. Uh, one of the things that our, our daughter Elam does sometimes is she needs to tell us something important. She'll crawl her little self up on our kitchen table <laughs> and she'll go, hey, everybody, everybody. I have a pink dress on or something like that's just like, okay. <laughs> um, when we come to our text this morning, I just want you guys to know this is the same energy that we, that we, need, to, that we need to feel, that Jesus is exhibiting. Mark says that Jesus is trying to get the disciples' attention. He is trying to let them know, hey, listen, I have something important to tell you. The text reads, Jesus went up a mountain and, well, let's talk about the mountain first, all right? Mountains were very important during this time. We have to remember that Mark is a short book. He gets to the point. So when he puts in um, details like mountains and sea, we have to make sure, we have to remember that like those are important things. Um, Mountains were very important, like I said, besides the fact that, right, they're beautiful and they're representations of the creativity of God. They also have an important theme throughout the scriptures, Mountains are representative of the place where, where God dwells, where he dwells on high, reigning over all of his creation. So we see just from the book of Exodus that on a mountain, God spends 40 days with Moses, right? On a mountain, God, he gives the law to the Israelites. On a mountain, God showed Moses the land that he was going to give to his people, that the people of God, the, the, the promised land that the people of God were going to inhabit. But before all of that would happen, right, we learned that in Exodus 3 that it is at a mountain that Moses has his first encounter with Yahweh and the burning bush. And thus Moses is commissioned at a mountain. So when we read that Jesus went up a mountain, our ears should perk up a little bit. Because we know that something significant is about to happen. When we read in our text that Jesus went up a mountain, it is as if Mark is standing on the kitchen table saying, hey, something's about to happen. Something's important about to happen. Pay attention. And what do we see happen at this mountain? Our text says this. It says, when he went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, they came to him. Jesus goes up to the mountain to call the 12 men who he has selected to be his disciples. Jesus goes up to a mountain and he calls them out of all the people who are trying to get to Jesus. Out of all the people fighting to get Jesus's attention, he sees and calls 12 men to come up to a mountain to be with him. Jesus summons those he wants and they come to him. Here, probably more clearly than anywhere else that we've seen uh, so far in the book of Mark, we see the selective nature of Jesus in calling those who he wants to be his followers. Now, before we continue to go deeper, right, into what he is actually calling them to, let me remind you the person who is calling them, right? Who is this, this man that is, that is calling them? We know that Jesus is not just any ordinary teacher, 
right? In Jesus, what we have is God in the flesh. The second person of the Trinity made human form. Jesus doesn't just lay aside his power when he becomes human, but instead in the person of who he is, he's a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. So although the calling of Jesus, it just feels like any other call that a human would give to another person, the effect of that call is godly and irresistible. Right? This is the same call that spoke out into the nothingness and said, let there be light and light sprung forth from nothing. Right? This is the same voice calling that spoke to the waters and said, let there be life and fish and sharks and octopus and all type of things that we haven't even seen yet. Right? And, and, and they all come forth swimming. This is the same call, everybody, that looks at dust and says, let us make man in our image. And dust turns into, into humans, into who we are. So we, we got to recognize that this call is different. And here's the other thing about the call, just um, contextually about uh, just the time and, 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 and um, the way that rabbis called uh, followers. Um, this call was unlike any other call in its day. What would happen back then, right? What would happen is that the students would initiate the rabbis. They would be the ones to approach a teacher that they wanted their life to emulate. And the teacher then would accept him. But remember, y'all, Jesus, he's bringing a new kingdom, right? And in this new kingdom, it's not the follower who gets to choose the teacher, but rather it's the teacher that calls the follower. So what I'm trying to say, family, is this. This is, this is what I'm trying to say in this call. It's the call of Jesus is one that's irresistible in nature and it's effectual, it's effectual, it works in its attempt and it's unlike any of our human systems that we have seen because the one calling is God. It's God who's calling. God is the initiator. And we see this to be true, right? We see that the call worked because the text tells us that when Jesus summoned them, they came. These men came. Now, let's that's, that's, that's get into the call. Now, we have to ask the question. You guys tracking with me? We're good? Okay. All right. Um, we have to ask the question, why would Jesus single out these dudes? Right? Out of all the people that's going after Jesus, why would Jesus single out these dudes? Is he, is he playing favorites? Right? Does he not care about the other people who need him? Why is Jesus calling him? Well, why is Jesus calling them? Um, well, I want to say that he's not playing favorites, right? That's not what's happening at all. What we see is Jesus calling these 12 men, in Jesus calling these 12 men, is that Jesus, what, what he's doing is he's, he's building a new community. He's building a new community for a new kingdom, right? We, we read a couple chapters ago that there is new wine, right? Jesus is bringing new wine and that this wine is growing and it's expanding. And in this new kingdom that Jesus is building, that, he's, that, that is growing and expanding, there needs to be a new community and a new people, Right? So we see that in Jesus calling 12 disciples, we see that in Jesus calling 12 disciples. And if you were a first century Jew and you were reading that Jesus, he's calling 
That this, this, this man who has said, I'm the Messiah, and then he calls 12 people to himself, you would immediately, immediately begin to think about the 12 tribes of Israel. And these tribes, that would then, and these tribes they would then form into, your, into the, the people of God. Um, sorry, I lost my place. Oh, here we go. Okay, so yeah, you'd be thinking about the 12 tribes of Israel and, and, and these tribes would then turn into um, the people of God. And, and these people, this people of God, these, these are the people that God has said that he would lead and guide to a promised land, right? These are the people that God says that he will be their shepherd and feed and protect them. These are the people who would enjoy the bliss of fellowship and relationship with God. And Jesus calling these 12 men to follow him, what he's saying is that I am making a new people. I'm making a new people. And those same promises, right, to, to shepherd and to protect and to call into um, the, the, the unhindered uh, presence of God, they, 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 they will extend to this new community that Jesus is making as well. But this new people, they aren't simply brought into the family because of kinship, because of blood, but they are brought together because Jesus has called them. Jesus calls these 12 men because Jesus is creating a new community for a new kingdom, right? But as we continue on in our text, we see that Jesus doesn't just call the 12 men to only make a new community for a new kingdom. We see that Jesus calls these men to be an extension of his ministry. Our text says that he called them, quote, to send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. And we know this to be true, right? Us sitting in this room, we know that this is true because the pages after this book and in the book of Acts and all the epistles, what we see is the disciples preaching Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And many people, they come to follow Jesus because of these dudes' work, right? We see in Acts that uh, the, the writer of Acts, Luke, he, he records that Peter, he heals the sick. Luke records also in Acts that a later uh, uh, apostle, um, Paul, Later disciple of Jesus, he will raise people from the dead. We read that the other disciples of Jesus preached the gospel, a gospel so potent that entire cities bring their idols to the middle of the city and burn them in allegiance to King Jesus. We read that entire generations of families, they will turn to follow Jesus and be baptized because of the work that Jesus has empowered these men to do. These men, they will do great things for God and they will turn the world upside down. They will heal many diseases. They will push back the kingdom of darkness. They will usher people into true freedom. They will glorify God in the way that they love others. Preaching Christ and the good news of the kingdom, they will stump out the minions of Satan. And yet while all these things are dope, all these things are good, and while all these things have books written about them and strategies developed around them, in my opinion, as I have wrestled over the scriptures this week, as I have labored over the scriptures, and as, as I have honestly just been convicted over the scriptures, I actually don't think that um, the extension of Jesus's ministry to these 12 men is the greatest calling that they have. 
I actually think that all of these things that I just mentioned, they're simply a result of the greatest calling that we see Jesus calling these men to on this mountain. In my estimation, as I have labored over the scriptures, um, as I have prayed over the scriptures, I have, as I have shed tears and confessed over these scriptures, I think the most important call that Jesus has on these 12, men, these 12 men's life, the calling that I think is going to radically transform um, history and, and, and religion and world um, is the simple call that maybe you looked over this morning. Mark 3.14, he says, he appointed 12, and he also named them apostles to do what? What's the first thing that Jesus says? To be with him. To be with him. And I think that's the crowning jewel of our text. The crowning jewel of our text is the fact that out of all the people reaching and grabbing for Jesus and vying for his attention, out of all the people who are demanding Jesus' presence, he calls 12 men not to do anything for him firstly, but to simply be with him. To be with him. And for you, I, I can't, for me, excuse me, I can't speak for you. Um, this is the most encouraging thing that I've read in the book of Mark up until this point. Because what Jesus reveals in calling these 12 men is that before he has asked them to do anything for him, before he has asked them to do anything for them, for him, he simply wants to be with them. He wants to be with them. And I don't know about you, but that's really refreshing. Um, in an age and a time where our worth is simply calculated by our effectiveness, Jesus calls these men to first and foremost be with him before they do anything. And as a pastor, reading these words and laboring over these scriptures, it's just been like a better rest for me this week, for my soul. Because what Jesus has reminded me this week is that before he loves anything that I can do for him, before he loves any sermon that I preach, before he loves any... Um, service that I can give to our church. He loves being simply in my presence. And as I have pondered this week, as I have pondered this this week, um, I wasn't going to share this, but I guess I should. Um, I was, I was just journaling and I was just I was trying to figure out the sermon. I was trying to figure out, okay, like what's the meaning behind the people that Jesus calls What's the meaning behind having authority over demons? What's the meaning of um, Judas Iscariot being in here and him being the one that Jesus, him, him being the one that was going to betray Jesus? As I, as I thought about all these things, I started reading again and it just jumped out at me that like before all that happens, Jesus just calls these men to be with him. And I was just convicted because I was like, man, like that's not how I live. I don't live my life simply seeing my first call to Jesus as, as being with him. And so I wrote so much, this is my journal. Um, so much seems to be added to our faith and way of life. Do this. Don't do that. Believe this. Don't believe that. As I ponder on this calling done by Jesus, I see something different though. I see something simple and refreshing. 
Jesus' first and foremost, foremost call to these men is to be with him. Before he calls them to do anything for him, he wants to be with them. These are the men who turned the world upside down. And it started with the fact that they were first with Jesus. Even as I write this, I feel such a refreshing sensation flow through my soul. I feel peace and an amen in the deepest parts of who I am. Maybe it's because I've reduced pastoring to simply doing things for Jesus and less about being with Jesus. Lord, forgive me where I have twisted this. Am I concerned about doing it right? Did I forget that it's first about who I'm doing it with? Or to put it another way, my doing flows from my dwelling. To preach and to cast off is merely a product of marinating in your presence, God. Let me love you more than the doing. And I know some of y'all, like, some of you aren't pastors, right? And some of you, the thought of preaching and casting out demons, like, it freaking terrifies you. And that's okay. Um, But I think that there's still something here for us. I think there's still something here for you as well. This is a call, I think, whether you're a pastor or a layman, a missionary, or just simply a mother, um, a reverend, or you're just a roommate. Um, God's call for you, for all of us, it begins with the fact that there's a God in heaven who first just wants to be with you. The good news this morning is that Jesus, that before Jesus has called you and I to do anything for him, before he has called you to love your neighbor, before he has called you to be patient with your kids, before he has called you to bear the burden of sin with your brothers and sisters, before he has called you to live with your wives in an understanding way, Jesus simply calls you to be with him, to be with him. And this is the start of the gospel. This is the truth of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God from on high, from on top of his mountain, has looked down and he has called men and women to be with him. That he is drawing people back into relationship with himself. And in my opinion, this is where Christianity is set apart from any other world religion or world system of thinking. Most systems and religions in the world say, do this for me, then you can come into my presence. Meet our standards, and then you can join our club. But in the gospel, God says, be with me and watch what I can do for you. Look who I will turn you into. It is us being with Jesus that makes us into this new community in this new kingdom. And it is us being in the presence of Jesus that makes us an extension of his ministry. And it is the fact that these disciples have been called to be with Jesus firstly, that their earthly ministry turns the world upside down. That's why they were men who were with Jesus. And because of the overflow of being in the presence of God, they turned the world upside down. So if you are here today, if you're here today and you want to do something big for Jesus, right? 
If you're here today and you want to change the world, if you are here today and you want to preach the paint off the walls one day, if you are here today and you want to call people to repentance, and you want to shatter the walls of injustice, and you want to eradicate evil systems like abortion and racism, and you want to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, don't miss the first call to simply be with Jesus. To sit at the feet of our master, to pour over the scriptures in meditation and in prayer, to become so fully satisfied with the joy of his presence that the only logical thing for you to do is pour out on the rest of the world around you. This is how we change the world. This is, this is, this is how we become world changers. We become so consumed with our Savior. We become so full of the presence of Jesus that it forces us to preach the good news and press back the forces of evil. This is how you change the world. You want to change the world? Get in front of Jesus. And here's the thing I love about Jesus. This is the thing that I, that I am encouraged about Jesus. It's that he won't call you to do anything that he hasn't done first himself. Before the foundation of the world, y'all, Jesus, the son, was in love with the father. He was head over heels with the spirit. The son, he, he lived in perfect unity in the presence of God from all eternity past. And from that love, from that satisfaction of the presence of God, he moves out into the creation and he takes on flesh and he dwells among us. He preaches the good news to our soul, a good news that says that God has made a way for mankind to be reconciled to himself and to find satisfaction and purpose and fulfillment, even though we have all forsaken God and sought to live our life apart from the presence of God. The good news says that God has made a way to destroy evil and the forces that will seek to assault mankind. The good news says that by grace, through faith, if you answer the call of God, he will make anyone a child of God. And family, I want you to know this morning that if no one has ever told you this, that God is still calling out to us today. And I want you to know and what I want you to know, excuse me, is that the call of God toward all of us isn't very different from the disciples on this pages. God is still calling us this same way. When God calls us, he too climbs a mountain. Amen. The mountain is called Calvary. And from that mountain called Calvary, God calls us. He calls us from the cross. And on the cross, he summons us because he wants us. God wants you. And on the cross, what you see is that your sin is put to death and your sin is declared forgiven. And in the cross, we see the proof that God wants us, right? Because the major stumbling block that has kept you from the presence of God, it is absorbed in Jesus and it is destroyed on the cross. And on the cross... The veil that has kept you from the presence of God has been torn completely in half. So what that means is that you can freaking run into the presence of God with boldness. 
You can run with boldness. You can, you can have God. He can have you. And, and, and you can be transformed. It's the same call that Jesus is calling his disciples to. His first 12 too. It, it, it's for all of us. God, he wants you. And maybe you've never heard that. Maybe you have lived your life as if I have to do these things and then God will love me. But I want to tell you this morning, whoever this is I'm talking to, that God has always wanted you. He has always been calling out to you. And if you hear his, his voice, my prayer is that you'd answer. Um, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I want us to see even more that the call, uh, uh, that the, 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 this call is, is the same call that, that God has for us. As a result of, of the call of God right on the cross and the fact that we, we get to be in his presence fully because of what Jesus has done, we see also that the cross, the cross is making the new community of God, right? The cross, you can say, is the hospital that births the new community of God for the kingdom of God. And what is this community like? What is this new community like? Who are these called ones? Well, in the cross, we see this new community for the new kingdom. It isn't based upon who you, how you were born or your ethnicity or your social class, um, just like the 12, right? Because of this new community, um, because this new community, excuse me, is formed not by your bloodline, but by the call of God and not by your works or your ability to come to him. We have been called. So what this means, what, what this means is that this new community that the cross produces is one of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. It produces people from both sides of the political spectrum. It produces rich people and poor people. It produces able-bodied people and those with physical and mental disabilities and all types of people because this call, which is instituted by Jesus and fulfilled by him going to the cross, it is a free gift of grace. We, God is making a new community through his cross. But what also happened as a result of this call the call of God through the cross and the fact that we get to be fully in God's presence now because of this call and the fact that we have been made into a new community because of this call is that we are now called to preach the good news of the gospel, that we are extensions of Jesus's ministry. We called ones get to share the good news that God, he is calling more. That God is calling more. And God wants more to be in his presence and to join this new community. And this good news is sure and a real reality because Jesus didn't just go to the cross and die, but he resurrected three days later to secure forever all of God's called ones. And because Jesus resurrected, that means that the full authority over the evil spirits of this world, the evil systems of this world, uh, the rulers of the kingdom of darkness, they have been overthrown. Family, what I'm trying to say is this. Jesus calling these 12 men, this is great and it's magnificent and it has changed the world. 
but it's really just a foreshadow. It's a foreshadowing of the calling, I believe, that God has on every one of our lives. If we would answer the call and come to him. Frontier, I feel that God is calling some of you this morning. Maybe, maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's for the first time to come into relationship with God, to cast your sins on the work of Jesus, to fully and finally trust him with your life, to for the first time walk into the presence of God where there is life and life to the full. And if that is you this morning, my encouragement is just to answer the call. Even in your seat right now, answer the call. And I'd love to talk with you after the service if that's you. Um, But for some of us this morning, maybe the call is the same as it was for me this week. (laughs) And that's to be less concerned about doing things for God. To be less concerned, to be less concerned about earning God's approval and God's smile, and to simply fall in love with being consumed and satisfied with the joy of His presence. Maybe the call for some of us this morning is that our hearts will be filled with joy. So much so that it just inevitably pours pours out over those who are around us. I said this earlier and I'll say it again for those, um, for that group. You want to change the world for Jesus? (laughs) Be consumed with his presence and watch God work. On the mountain, on the mountain, the cross is calling to us all. My question is, will we answer that call? Let's pray. Jesus, um, there's so much that could have been said and that wasn't said. um, But I feel like that the most important aspect of this call with the 12 is It's the fact that there is a God in heaven who crosses time, space, matter to be with his people. John 1, you say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, Lord, this morning, as I pray, maybe there's people in here who who, who don't feel like God wants anything to do with them. Maybe, maybe, Maybe they feel too jacked up or they've made too many mistakes or whatever. Um, I just pray that you would just freaking blow that out of the water with your presence. Would you call people for the first time to yourself? Would you recall people who, who have been working and slaving to earn your um, approval? Lord, they already have it. I pray that there would be freedom this morning. Oh, Lord, would there be freedom this morning? <sighs> Lord, yeah, would there be freedom this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.